0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister. Helping Product Managers become Product Masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level. For the doctor is in.
1: Hi, this is Chad. And this is where you make your move from Product Manager to Product Master. Learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence So you will create products customers love. And what about products that customers love? What products do you use that you love? Think of a product that you're glad to tell other people about. You share how it helps you solve a problem or maybe get a task done faster. Or maybe a product that makes you feel really fantastic. It might be your phone or a perfectly balanced and beautiful design pen. Maybe a pocket knife that makes you feel just a little more self-reliant. Or in my case... The Paragon Induction Cooktop that allows me to make perfect omelets my wife and kids rave about and so I look fantastic. Great products are the ones that we love. They create emotions in us that go beyond satisfaction, extending to true delight. And creating products that customers love, that's what product management is about. It also just happens to be the central theme for all of us All of you listening now who are everyday innovators, creating products that customers love. That is the most important thing about being an everyday innovator. It is why this podcast exists and is also the focus of this episode. And I explore the topic with Todd Olson. And I explore this topic with Todd Olson. He's the co-founder of Pendo, which creates a capability for creating product experiences customers can't live without. Before starting Pindo, Todd was VP of products at Rally Software and has been a co-founder for two other companies. He was also recently announced as an EY Entrepreneur of the Year finalist, a great honor, great recognition. Todd knows a lot about developing software, founding and building companies, and most importantly for our conversation, creating products customers love. You'll find the summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com 185. I hope you enjoy the discussion with Todd. Todd, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thanks. Great to be here, Chad. I ran across your company about a year ago through a product camp that was in Denver called Pendo. And I was curious just about your motivation for founding Pendo.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, my motivation goes back to my roots. So prior to starting Pendo, I was the VP of product at a co- company called Rally Software, mm-hmm. also headquartered uh, in Boulder area, so in Colorado. And
1: yeah, and I think mo- a lot of people at least in the software space would know that from being in Colorado. Or in Agile, right? Because you guys provide, provided great yeah. tools for the Agile environment.
2: Yes, we're the leader in providing enterprise Agile project management tools. Yeah. And, and um, you know, great company. What I found is as we scaled and got more and more customers, it became increasingly difficult to make decisions and increasingly difficult to know whether the things we were building were actually getting used and delivering value back to end users. Mm. Last thing you want to do is spend tons of time building, conceiving of, testing, shipping something, and no one uses it. Um, that's not a great experience for our end users. So um, I kind of set out to create a platform to help people deliver better experiences. And, and ultimately what we're trying to get to is helping companies provide software that users love. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day that users love it, it's going to lead to really good things, hopefully uh, expanded usage, renewal, and um, hopefully it makes the end users' lives better. If it makes the end users' lives better, I mean, I, it's ultimately um, uh, you know better for everyone.
1: And I like that perspective about software or products in general that users love. And we're going to be talking about this from a software perspective. That's what your tools targeted for and your experience and my experience too. But I found a lot of the things we do in product management, that are just applicable to all kinds of product managers, right? Regardless of the industry. True. And this notion of creating products that people love is pretty darn important. And I know that you, you've used this phrase product love. And I don't know if that actually characterizes that. Tell, tell us what you mean by that product love
2: yeah I mean I think what we're seeking is is something that not just does the job anymore, but people actually develop a affinity for the product you know and, and product love means that that people actually enjoy hmm. using the product that you're providing you know and, and a lot of ways we, you know we, we can kind of break down how you do that. there's a variety of methodologies, but um, ultimately it should lead to good referrals. You know, not just, oh, I love this, but I'm willing to tell my friends, hey, this is amazing. You should try this. And, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, I recently did a video actually on product love and, and, and they asked me what it meant. And um, or they asked me to share a product that I love. And, and I didn't actually pick a software example. I picked my range, uh, my cooking range. And, mm. and um, I love using this thing. You know, I, I love turning it on. I love putting food on it. There's just something about using this thing that, you know, it's, I smile, you know, nearly every time I use it. And, and that, to me, is what we're trying to engender with product love and mm-hmm. trying to deliver. It's something where you smile a little bit. You're proud you use it. You're, you're, um, it, it brings you joy. I mean, these are the things that I think about when we think about product love.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking about that same exact question. Uh, you know, as we were preparing for this interview, what's a product that I've used recently that I actually love? And your example actually triggered one for me. There's a this uh, group called First Build. They're an innovation incubator for GE Appliance, and they build kind of low run, you know, maybe ten in the tens of thousands of units, countertop appliance units. And They have this one that's uh, induction cooks cooktop, right? So yep. um so single single cooktop. And it comes with an app, and this is true for so many physical products, right? We're we're digitizing so many physical products these days. It comes with an app, and the first thing I did was make an omelet. It was the best omelet I ever made, right? The, The app tells me what to set it to, when to flip the eggs, everything about what's going on. That put a smile on my face because I got to feed my family omelets that were the best omelets we ever had
2: yeah that that's what we're going for and, and but so often we go to use something that we have certain expectations out of it, and then we're let down or it's like shockingly difficult right, <laughs> right. Know, like why does it have to be so hard and and that's honestly I think what why why we appreciate these other products so much better i mean it, it, because there are so few people I think really pay attention to it i I'm finding myself even appreciating products I love even more than I used to
1: mm-hmm. yeah. It's interesting when I've asked product managers how they got into product management, kind of what, what their motivation, a key reason that comes up is this topic of, well, I want to make products that customers love, right? I want to make products that customers actually care about and value. And I've had some really great interviews, not interviews, but some really great discussions with people that they ran into some problem with a product in their life. They thought, and maybe it was at the company they were working for at the time, right? And thought, why aren't our customers happier with this? Why can't we make this better for them? it was out of that frustration that they got into product, right? When you make things better. I'm curious, have you heard similar short stories in the work you're doing? Absolutely. I mean, I think
2: pain is a really good origin for amazing mm. product and amazing ideas. You know, it all starts with pain. And when I, when I coach young product managers and new product managers, and I always, if they're talking about their solution, I always move them back to the problem and the pain. Because mm. if you're not addressing some acute pain, you know, you're, you're, you're probably missing something and, and some of the best products were invented because people had tried something and, and yeah, it, it could be better. Like, wow, I want to solve that problem. This is painful. And I mean, arguably the, the, the Pendo creation story is a very similar thing. I tried to build some of these things um, in the past with homegrown tools mm-hmm. or try to get some of the analytics out with, bi solutions on top of a custom database you know i tried this but it was cumbersome it was hard it never really got me what i wanted so when i when i I started with the first version of the product i just built something that i personally wanted i didn't Mm -hmm. overthink it i was like look if it could make me happy and deliver to me something of value that i would use Mm -hmm. and presumably that more people would do it and then you start getting it out there and talking to people talking about their problems and then you know start iterating and iterating and iterating and i think that that's absolutely a great way to start um, with, with product is by starting with pain, starting with challenges, and then trying to improve it.
1: Yeah. That's an often startup story, right? The founder story that kind of scratching your own itch. Like I had this problem. I was running into this, in your case at Rally, wanting to make our products more valuable to customers. And how do I solve that problem and cobble together some things and figure out there's got to be a better way to do this. And you just dove in and, and create a better way. I do like that you emphasize there that you iterated and iterated and iterated, right? Because I, I think when we build something for ourselves, we don't necessarily hit the market correctly.
2: Oh, of course. I mean, I, you know,
1: look, I, I think,
2: and you may, I don't know if you use the term, or I, we all like to use the term echo chamber. You know, it's mm. easy, you know. You quit your day job, so to speak, you start a company, you maybe raise some money on it, you get an idea, you're building something for yourself. It is super easy to get, you know, focused and, and kind of lose perspective, right? You know, I, even now, I mean, we're 170 person company and we've got a bunch of customers. I find sometimes we're using words that that we are constantly hearing over and over again internally in our in, in. Inside our heads, and, and when you get out of the building and make sure we're connecting with with people outside the door. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it takes lots of iteration. It takes humility um, to, to really build a great product. Yeah. and you have to, you know, you know, I, yeah, I'm a pretty technical product manager, and, and so we sell to product managers as well, of course. So, so uh, hence why we're at the Rocky Mountain Product you know, one of the reasons we we're there. Um, but they come in a lot of different. Um, shapes and sizes, so to speak, and, and backgrounds, you know. And i, I, I a former, I have a computer science degree. I'm a mm-hmm. former CTO engineer. Um, you know, we, we have an area in our product where you can inject and add messages. And in the first version, had um, areas for custom JavaScript, HTML, and CSS. Well, of course, it was really easy for me. <laughs> you know, if I want to like solve something, I just jump right into the code, and it takes me like a couple minutes, right? Mm-hmm. But now, as we um, are starting to work with product managers and different backgrounds let's say we're selling to a, a healthcare company where they may have medical backgrounds right. they don't know what and frankly they shouldn't have to so as we connect more with the market and, and you know um i think we constant learn new ways to, to deliver joy make it easy you know reduce friction reduce pain and and, and yeah it takes constant iterations and um that's just an interesting topic because it's about products and it's about Mm -hmm. the diverse backgrounds you know there's a lot of controversy i think in the product community of do you need to be technical or not to be a product manager And i think we made the assumption early which was a bad one i mean i meet lots of product managers that are non-technical that are amazing at what they do Mm -hmm. and i think we in the community don't we don't we don't tell enough of those stories because I think you know it's it's one that I'm pretty passionate about. It you can come you can be successful product from a variety of different backgrounds.
1: Yeah, and people come from a variety of different backgrounds, don't they? Right. There, there are a lot of organizations that that start out looking for product managers, as our friend Steve Johnson was put, put us in contact with each other. He's been on the podcast before. He talks about these as, as the unicorns, right? The, these incredibly impossible job descriptions that organizations are looking for. They want the everything product manager, right? Huge technical depth, lots of business experience, MBA, design, UX uh, expert, and pick one. I think is probably a good basis and build up strengths around that yeah
2: and i have a so I, you know i agree picking one is useful but I, I i big fan of the strength strength finders books and you know strength based yeah. leadership if you've read that from the gallup group
1: and yeah and, and t-shaped people right these people that have broad experiences across lots of areas
2: that and, and and build what you need based on the team that you have so hmm. you know we we had you know um or i've had you you always get this 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 spectrum of very visionary people. You get a spectrum of very execution oriented people. Yeah, maybe you have someone that's got a good blend of both. But often I've had people that are really good at one and really good at the other. So we if we see ourselves that you know you have a bunch of big thinkers in your product team, you have no one that you know actually can execute. Right. That's usually not a good team. Or right. You have all execution focused people, people that can't see the forest of the trees. They need to get some more visionary people. And I think. Building a good cohesive team that has a balance of strengths, a balance of skill sets, balance. Of, I think it's the org that I expect to be mm-hmm. great. You know, I think the individual. You know, I think um, I'm. I don't, they don't need them to be the perfect unicorn, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's kind of how I think about it as well.
1: Yeah. And I love that book, Strength Finder. One of my hats is a university teacher. Probably most frequent recommendations for people that are struggling with, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up, right? And I admit, I'm still struggling with this a little bit, but Strength Finder creates a a, a very important perspective that I think corporate America drives out of people. Which is to play to your strengths. There's so many different kinds of people, like you said, put a team together that has the right strengths as opposed to trying to make up for your weaknesses. It's like, man, why don't you maximize your strengths more? That's where you should be spending your time. Yeah, I've actually put out
2: um, job descriptions and asked for people to submit strength finders uh, mm. uh, uh, as part of the application process. And, and again, what I'm looking for is someone that fills gaps on my team that I have, you know, the, the, you know, so I think that's a great way of thinking about it. like, for example, one of the areas is relationship building. Mm-hmm. Just, be, just put it out there. That is not one of my strengths. I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I'm a little bit of an introvert, you know, maybe I'm a little more type A at times I mean, making sure people like are well communicated with and relating to folks. Just, they aren't my strengths, mm-hmm. which, you know, is okay, but I need to be surrounded by people that have those mistakes sure. to make sure. They make sure I don't, you know, there aren't a lot of broken eggs, right? And I know this about myself and I seek these people when I build teams because I know they make me more effective. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an important way of looking at it.
0: We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators. Your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us that concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Your one place to become a product master. TheEverydayInnovator.com board slash master. Don't wait. Get started now.
1: So we talked about a few things that product managers can do to make products that customers actually love. Being close to the problem, not talking about the solution so much. Sometimes we do get enamored with our solution as opposed to really staying focused on the problem, iterating with the customer, staying close with them. Anything else that comes to mind about what we should be doing to focus on this aspect of product love?
2: Yeah, I do think there's some notion of delight. Delight is a, is a hard one to codify. I know that there's a framework called Kano K. I know that talks a little bit about this in the Agile community. We use this framework once in a while, and Kano kind of actually classifies three categories of, of features. Um, uh, one are kind of like these these lower level features, you know, table stakes. We call them often. Right. which you things that people just expect. They're checkbox features. That's one style. The next style they come you know essentially linear features but they, they deliver kind of a, an equal part value um to to effort so the example i like to use is in, in google when you, you know, the performance of your search result i mean the faster it is the happy you are but it's not you know it's not exponential it's just linear you know mm-hmm. i mean uh, you know a you know, little bit faster you're a little bit happier Delight light is where you get this exponential happiness for little things it's like the first time I typed into Google um, a tracking code for FedEx and it showed me exactly where my package was <laughs> I wasn't expecting the search engine to do that but when they did it I was like wow that's really smart that was what I wanted to get to and they saved me like four or five clicks you know and I, and I think the light comes down to anticipating what customers want and uh, doing it in you know very novel ways right mm-hmm. so I think And again, this comes back to pain and understanding what they're trying to accomplish. If you know what what the customers, uh, you know, another framework I like to talk about is jobs to be done. If you know what job they hired your product to do, and you make that job seamless, and you Mm -hmm. you give the opportunity to delight them, um, you will generate love. I mean, uh, you know, I I think it's bottom line. I mean, every once in a while, I use something and I'm shocked by how easy it is. Yeah, I I mean, I was um, buying shoes last night uh on a website and apple pays there and i'm an apple customer and and i don't have a touch um i don't have a a thumbprint reader on my laptop i have an old laptop but i wear an apple watch so i went to click it they want to verify that i am who i am and it says verifying on your apple watch it shows up on my watch i just double tap it and i'm done Wow. Don't put my thumb. So it it knows I have a phone. I have a watch. I have like the fact that all these things were synchronized from Safari all the way down to my watch. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit shocked that did that. I've never had that happen before the first time in my life. I mean, it it was cool. I mean, I got to confess it was cool. And um, that's the kind of delight. I mean, you know, I was trying to buy a pair of (laughs) shoes. The fact that all these things talk to each other and make that happen um,
1: in a secure way. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's pretty neat. Yeah, save you a little bit of time, and it just seems to all work together. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. I, I like that aspect of that, that model looking at what are those features that really do result in delight. I also suspect there's a, a community aspect to some of this too. Some of the products I feel more affinity for, it's because I'm in some kind of ecosystem, right? The Apple is, has been really good at this. I think products that go out of their way to create a little bit of specialness, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the club. There's a community I'm part of.
2: I agree. I mean, I, I think, I mean, who, who knows the chicken and the egg thing? Is Man. it the great product that creates the community um, or, or vice versa? The community creates the product. There's no question they go hand in hand. I mean, and so, I mean, I, I think some great products also have some degree of uh, extensibility and customization that people can kind of make it their own. Mm-hmm. Like you, I mean, and once people make something their own, they, they they feel a connection with the product. Like, wow, I've invested some time on this and, right. I feel great, you know, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time. It, it's, it's helping our users get promoted or helping our users get advanced, making them feel good. And, it, and it's not, you know, it, there was a trend, I think five years ago on product where people thought the only way to make users feel good was gamification, right? Where let's give users three points or you know, a little star. And I think there's some goodness there, but I think rather than trying to, um, just invent or create you know, fake promotion or, or help i think it's better if it's really genuine like someone mm-hmm. actually gets promoted or actually feels better or, or um advances in their craft and right. if you can do that too and they can create a community and talking around it,
1: i think it's i think it's awesome yeah that's huge that's making a real difference for people in their careers and their lives Exactly. When you described product love earlier, one of the aspects you talked about was, you know, we love the product and we're willing to tell others about it, you know, this referral thing. And companies for a while now have been using NPS, the Net Promoter Score, as a metric. I don't want to get too down in the weeds about describing this in detail, but it's a way for the, at the brand level to say, do you like my company enough and what we do to refer it to other people? Correct. Which is a wonderful thing. A lot, of pe- a lot of companies use it. We have metrics out there. So you can see how you stack up you know, in your industry and cross industries. But as product managers, it doesn't really tell us if we're headed the right direction, if we're putting the right features in. It doesn't get into those weeds for us. I know you've been doing some work at looking at MPS and taking it down to a product level. Let's talk about that. As product managers, how can we make better use of such information?
2: Well, yeah. First off, I mean, I just think it's a great measure. Now, do I think it's a perfect measure? No. But I, I think if, you're, um, if you own a product and you're working on it, I think it's it's must-have now. It's easy to collect. It's easy mm-hmm. to baseline. It's, and it's a good thing. I mean, the, you know, I've heard plenty of people argue. Like, people spend more time fighting over what's a perfect measure now than just collecting a damn thing and starting to, to look at it. So I think right. uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of product owning it you know I, I also I often see customer success teams own it and and I and I worry that people are just gonna cater to the one unhappy customer than actually try to fix root causes which root causes are product issues and more systemic issues um, I mean but but so what we've done is um, so once people baseline and get the number we're, we're investing a lot in helping add more data around it helping contextualize it helping slice and dice it so simple things to do like um, uh grouping it or, or slicing and dicing it by different demographic information, mm-hmm. things like role or customer size. I mean, it's really possible that you designed a product. You know, let's say, let's say the, the, the product team was focused on a buyer persona that you know, was Fortune 500 companies and you end up with a bunch of SMBs in your product and your entrepreneur score is down low. But you segmented by customer size, you know. said, "Oh, it's well, actually pretty high in my Fortune 500 clients, mm-hmm. and it's actually low in my SMB clients." So then, you may learn that yes, you get this SMBs bringing your overall number down, but you're not investing in it. Right. That may be really, um, that may actually be more validating of your company strategy than not, right? You know. Now, now then, you can make a decision as a company: well, oh, we have a lot more of these SMBs than we thought we were. Should we mm-hmm. then? talk about that persona and start investing in and see if we can address those needs. I think, I think there's a good story there. Um, uh, you know, could it could be on different roles, you know, uh, different roles and making a better experience in your product. Uh, it could be people buying different SKUs. Like some people have different, hmm. you know, different feature groupings. And one feature grouping may be honestly weird, maybe excluding pieces that are really valuable. Um, the other thing we've done is we've um, married it with usage information. And we can look at usage information in a variety of different contexts. But one of the areas is, is um, looking at NPS and how it relates to to how people use a product. So, for example, if uh, there's a certain area of the product that, by and large, most of the promoters use over the detractors or detractors use mm-hmm. over the promoters, we can say, hmm, maybe this area is leading to a bad experience, hmm. you know, I call those dark areas in your products. And we all have these. You know, here's, here's right. the thought. I mean, I mean, look, there's things in my product that I'm not you're not always proud of every single screen. I mean, not not if you're iterating, not if you're doing lean startup, you're going to put something out there. You, know, you may not get back to it as soon as you want to. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But getting some more validation reminders like, ooh, people are using this more than I thought they were, and right. it's not really a good experience. Maybe I need to go back and fix that. Or and vice versa. If someone's using this one area and they're really, really, really happy, how do we get everyone else there? Right. How do we drive that behavior? So I think a lot about these sorts of things. And um, and the other thing I do is you know, making sure we're focusing our our follow-up and communication to users contextual based on their score. So if someone's really really happy maybe i want them to honestly be a referral for me maybe mm-hmm. if they're less than happy i want to talk to them more i want to maybe do a usability study i mean I, I can do it in a lot of different ways but um you know i want to try to learn as much as i can from that audience and cohort so uh, so that's kind
1: of how i think about it there's a lot of good information what you just shared there about how to <laughs> apply this in a much more actionable way starting with maybe segmenting our market uh, which hopefully we're already doing but segmenting by what those NPS numbers look like compared to the target segments we're going after. And then taking it down to the last thing you said you know, about how you might follow up with different customers. Seeking that recommendation so you already know that you're likely to get a positive recommendation. So it's an easy ask. And where we're maybe this is a really good person to do some usability study with or be a lead user for us, do some interviews uh, because something's going on with how they're using the product. Their expectations must be a little bit different than what we were thinking. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, I, I think
2: this is an amazing area. And I, you know, we've worked with a few customers. I was working with a customer that, that uh, sells uh, software to dental industry. And they, okay. they noticed that, that, you know, the MPS in certain areas wasn't what they wanted. The holistic score wasn't. So then they broke it down by role. And they noticed that one of the roles, I believe it was like hygienist or something to this effect, were bringing the score down so hmm. they went deeper on that area okay what are hygienists doing what's that experience look like in relation to other experiences that they are statistically less happy than other roles well then they learned that they weren't taking advantage of certain areas that were meant for them in the product right they were using potentially other screens so they, they started directing them to those screens and getting them more engaged in the areas that were meant for them it's education in many cases hmm. right just education. So that basic education manage to lift their score in six months. Something like twenty or thirty points. So so I mean, hmm. these are simple things you can do. I mean, if you just look at a single number, you you know, it, it um, a single number is useful for benchmarking and base liking, and we do trends. But to me, it's just um, I wanna look through that and, and break it down and you know, look at trends and, and and try to understand some what action can be taken. There's just a good example.
1: Very good. I want to jump to your product specifically because it's all about trying to get more information out of the product. Correct. Give us some examples of that connected to this general topic of product love. Uh, What kind of information can we learn to help us build those features that actually delight the customer?
2: I mean, one of the interesting use cases we discovered, we have this thing called a paths where you can actually see how people flow through your product. It's kind of an exploratory feature. Um, And, uh, you can kind of pick a starting point or an ending point and kind of figure out what people do. And And uh, I'll give you an example from each, actually, because they're both kind of interesting examples. But one, uh, we were working with a customer who who wanted to see what happened when people ran a search. And look, search is pervasive. Every product pretty much has, has a little search icon right in the corner. So they were they, they were watching what people were doing, and they were searching for something. They were going to that page. They were clicking a single button. They going back and searching. And going to a page and clicking on that button and clerching and going, like literally that cycle. And, and the button was like, I don't know, it's like print an invoice or something like that. Because people were going in and finding people and printing invoices. They want to do a bunch in a row. Basically, they were trying to do a, a mass operation using search because right. search was an easy way to find an individual, right? Um, or, or it was billing or something to this effect. So, what did they do? They brought the button onto the search results page. So that way you could just search and just hit the button without actually having to go, you know, page the back button, page mm-hmm. the back button. And that's an easy way that they released that and literally got a call. And this woman started like nearly crying because like it saved them hours of time, hours, right? This person's job was solely to, you know, search, do this and click search, do this and click. I mean, you could like it, it evoked emotion. I mean, imagine if you're getting paid to do something and, and that's what you're doing all day long. And someone just, cut it not even a half like a quarter of the time i mean that's that's huge a person just got back hours in their day back mm-hmm. and, oh, amazing story you know yeah. um, uh, so that that was one area that uh, i i think about a lot um same, same type of report um we, we can actually you can configure to say i want to see what people were doing prior to clicking help hmm. and um literally down to the action which is kind of a cool feature and, and Look, did you think anyone wants to read help anymore? No, like we we don't we don't, none of us want to do this. I know we have it and it's there, but like when we're like reaching up our hand and saying I need help, I don't feel smart when I do that. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right? So you don't about delight and making empowering the user. I, you know that that's the exact opposite. So people then have used that uh, information to go backwards and figure out oh, it's this page, it's this button on this page. Let's go clean this up so that people aren't, like, bailing out because it's not making them feel smart, right? Mm-hmm. Not leading to this, this feeling that, oh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I control my own domain, so to speak. And um, so those are just two really good examples that I, I think help deliver love because, like, you know, one's probably the anti-love and then one's probably one where you're more pr- promoting it, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. two are important. Good examples and simple ones that anyone developing a software product could investigate, right? It's like, what are people doing before they click on help? Because something got them frustrated that led them to, man, I don't know what's going on here. I I need help, right? Exactly. And good ways to enhance products and make them hopefully more delightful for customers. I appreciate you sharing those examples with us. My pleasure. And I love a good innovation quote. Listeners know this too. I always ask for one. What did you bring us and tell us why you chose that one?
2: My quote is uh, from Simon Sinek and it is, customers will never love a company until the employees love it first.
1: And tell us why it's important.
2: You know, I think this whole notion of happy employees and employee engagement. You know, you know, I look, as, as I qualified earlier, I'm a former engineer. I mean, earlier in my career, I probably would have called that quote fluffy or squishy or touchy feely or whatever words I would have or pejorative adjective I would have come up at the time. That you know, but the reality is, if you have an amazing culture, that is the first step in having an amazing product. And I don't think I recognize or appreciate it as much as I do now. And I, I think um, because there's a lot of little things in our products that doesn't matter how good your process is, how good your people are, it, it's it's the things that are, the little things that are done. That they're done because people truly care. It's because they have a culture where they're coming to work and really love what they do. They have pride for what they do. There's passion there. And they, they want to do the little things. Mm-hmm. And the little things are what all add up that amazing experience so to me you know it's um we invest a lot in our employee experience um and and we do it because we know it's going to lead to better customer experiences and it's really that simple and um it probably wasn't until as a ceo that i really realized that but Mm -hmm. but now that i realize it you know it's something that i really cherish
1: and i've looked into the research some of this, and people who have spent time interviewing ceos about the importance of culture and often it's in that ceo role where that transformation has changed in them personally right a, a recognition like you know i i thought strategy was the whole game for us it turns out it was culture right there, there's some point where they go our people are the ones that actually make the difference
2: yeah i was one of these people you know i mean i think look i was like look you can put me in a room i can come up with the best strategy <laughs> you know and i and i think in until um until you're part of creating a culture and ultimately responsible for it. And, and then you realize so many things happen in the culture or a good culture means that so many things happen without having some leader or some manager dictate it. It's actually more scalable.
1: That's mm-hmm. what didn't hit me. You know, and I, I think huge believer now. Very cool. Lots of really important information because as product managers, we do care about creating products that customers love. And I appreciate you going through uh, some aspects of that with us and giving some good tips for product managers. How can people find out more about what Pendo does? And if they want to reach out to you, how can that happen?
2: You can reach Pendo at www.pendo.io. I am just Todd at Pendo.io or um, at T Olson, t o l o well, oh, okay. T-O-L-S-O-N. Jeez. <laughs> uh, apologies. I got my name wrong there for a second. Um, but I'm an O-N, not an E-N. And then the other thing is we have a um, blog called Product Craft. It's run separately from Pendo, www.productcraft.com. It is um, folks like Steve Johnson are on it. Um, we actually have a debate club with product leaders. We have uh, a lot of amazing content. It is literally just for the community and by the community. And I also just want to put it out there. If anyone wants to contribute to the community, and write articles, just participate. Um, we would love to have you. It's, it's, it is, um, we actually have a separate editorial team that manages product craft separate from Pendo. And it is just advancing the craft of product management, something we're incredibly passionate
1: about. Awesome. As I am too. It's the reason for this podcast and it's trying to help product managers become more capable. And I appreciate you spending time with us and helping some product managers become more capable through this discussion. Awesome. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Chad. Thanks for listening to the Everyday Innovator, where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining the influence and confidence you need to create products customers love. Find the summary of the discussion with Todd about customer love at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 185. Keep innovating.
0: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.